Am I hot? Am I coming in hot? No, I think you're pretty good. Are you wearing your headphones? I'm not going to wear mine. I'm gonna in wear solidarity. Sure. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to wear mine in I'm solidarity. Gonna, this will be my mine. first ever interview without headphones on. Oh. Ever? My ever. God. Yes. That's a selling point right there. Are we in the interview? Are we in the show now? Is this it? We are right about now. Well, I mean, no, not, not right about is there like a do you put like a theme intro or something? So we usually have we'll like use a little bit of this and edit it, and then there will be intro music, and then we'll be in. Okay. I know what I just did. Welcome to Lyrics to Go, the podcast where we take a deep dive into lyrics that are questionable at best, but have largely dodged public ridicule. Part. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Until now. I am Mark and I'm here with Seth. How are you, Seth? Oh man, I am up to my neck. I feel like Mark Davis. I can tell this is already going to be a classic. What's, oh, the, ba- what's the bandana for? Well, to, to clean my glasses. Oh, I thought you were going to put it on your head. That's hand. his my colors. Cheaters. No, yeah, these are my colors. These are his colors. I'm a nightmare walking psychopath talking. Do you carry that thing around in your pocket? Uh, it's a, it's Florida. We need sweat rags down here, man. Yeah, it's well. only what gentlemen do. Yeah. You don't understand because you're not a large man. Uh, well, Seth is... I'm a large man. A large man. I'm big guy. We sweat easy here Very. down in the dirty south. I have a scent of lavender today under my do arms. You? To, to, yeah, to, to ward off... To ward off the sweat that accumulates under Any the arm. Any skeeters? Any? Um, I misunderstood what you meant by dirty south. But now, I <laughs> <laughs> now you understand. Dirty, sweaty south. <laughs> you know me and you know Seth. The dulcet tones that you hear in addition to us uh, are the dulcet tones if you are uh, in the southwest Florida area and you've ever listened to WGCU, then you know that voice as the one and only Mike Canary. How are you, Mike? Ba-da-ba! I am fantastic. How are you guys? I'm doing very well. Thank you for joining us today. In the middle of police pro, um, you that's are. That's how you say it, police pro. That's how we say okay, it. Yeah, I'm yeah. To the uh, sort that out. We've renamed the month um, because we were doing four police songs in the month of April, um, and when we were thinking of someone to have, uh, your name came up. I know you and Seth go way back, and Seth remembers you mentioning being a police fan. Absolutely. And uh, how can you tell us a little bit about your history with the hit band, The Police? Um, probably 85, 86. I was in high school. One of my best friends, uh, Biff, Brian Hughes, his sister had an old car and it had a sticker on the back that always intrigued me. And one day I looked closely and it was the synchronicity. Oh, uh, okay. Graphic. Yeah. The red, yellow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I, she loaned me like, uh, like, I don't know even which album a cassette it was and I started listening and that really just refocused my musical stylings for like the next two or three years I listened to nothing but the police so did you were you already into new wave and kind of punky stuff or no not at all I had an odd uh, musical taste prior to that I had been listening to hits from the 1954 55 56 and 56 collection from whammo or whoever the fuck. <laughs> okay <laughs> you know? so this is yeah. quite a quite a, oh, yeah, a vacation no, I, I didn't really i i stumbled into this 50 stuff because of a youth group trip trip when i was a kid and then i just listened to the crap out of that and then i came across the police and i just listened to the crap out of that until moxie fruvis came along ah yes okay that had to be mentioned well yeah we've we've talked a good deal because i think i'm arc. one of the roll over beethoven <laughs> roxanne <laughs> bj don't cry now for those of you that don't know mike is our local uh, on WGCU morning host at this point? No, no I haven't been the morning not, host since 2011. I'm it's way off. But I hear your voice every morning just about. Uh, well, you hear promos for the okay. show. I make two shows. I make one called Gulf Coast Life where That's we talk about all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I make Three Song Stories which comes on the weekends and is a podcast. Which Mark and I have both You've been both on. have been episodes. Yes. So yeah, you both have been guests. I am number 75. Mark, I don't know what your number is. I don't know what You're my number is. You're lower than that. Even. And yours yeah. was our first live episode. Mark. First we live episode. Yours Years in front of an audience, and I had a blast. And I, I still remember that day with a lot of uh, with a lot of love. I had I had a very very good time. It's very strange, yeah, uh, being interviewed and and coming up with songs that mean something in your life. But uh, it was it was a very very good time. I was honored to be asked. Um, 
do you have your three songs? Have you ever been interviewed on I that? Have, I have. Um, I was okay. episode I like so. the, I was our like our one year anniversary. I remember. Show. It. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What were your three songs? Do you remember? Uh, my first song was ap- actually "Roll Over Beethoven." Okay. Uh, my second song, and I wanted to do a police song for it, but oh, I didn't. Okay. You know, because there, I didn't have that same like moment story. Right, right. And the second song was a Moxie Fruva song, "BJ Don't Cry." Okay. Actually, that may have been my third song. Anyway, um, and then the other one was I had a recording of this band that showed up at Liquid Cafe one day. They were busking on the street, and we brought them in, and they played all afternoon. I know who you're going to say. Fiddlesticks was they were called. Oh, okay. They were f- from Canada. They were touring old folks' homes. Huh. And we mic'd them up. Because we had like a, a one speed CD burner, and we can, and I have we have a bootleg of that show, and it sounds like a million bucks, and you get the whole scene. Wow. You hear the people talking, and so I, I transported people into the Liquid Cafe. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So I remember you, and I remember very early on, there were not a lot of Moxie Fruis fans kicking around and i think it was the way we first connected and it was yes it was like oh we both know this thing over king of spain if i remember correctly yeah and my baby loves a bunch of authors well and i just i knew you were cool then (laughs) yeah there you go as a matter of fact it just so happens uh that um i was just talking about them because i was talking about their cover of shoehorn with teeth by they might be giants because i actually just bought a shoehorn and it made teeth the kind with teeth yes is there any other kind (laughs) Um, so, well, in hindsight, it might have been good that you didn't add a police song to your repertoire because some of these lyrics are, uh, a little worrisome. Some of them <laughs> may have had people scratching their head. We first did Every Breath You Take, which is definitely a very scary stalker anthem. Um, then we did, um, Don't Stand, Don't so, stand close so Close to Me, which was, uh, very... It's got some, like, college... Stu- teacher, student, sort of pedophilia, like pedophilia kind of. Uh, yeah. um, Sting goes as far as to use the word rape um, when he's talking about the song, so a little frightening. Not in the song, after in, in post interview. Pretty sure yeah. I hadn't missed the word rape. <laughs> yeah, he's about Not, to say. Yeah. yeah, he just slips it in there real quiet. He whispers it. Um, and this week, uh, we will be talking about another, uh, maybe not creepy song, um, but. Uh, a little weird. This week we're going to be talking about their second single from the album Outlandos de More. We are going to be talking about the song Can't Stand Losing You. Um, do you remember hearing this song? Do you remember the first time you heard this? How it made you feel? I don't have any firm memories of like the first time I heard it, but I certainly have heard it a million times. You know, it, yeah. yeah, it's got that. Uh, it's got that power pop feel it's got um you know it's got those downbeats in the verse very reggae-esque uh chorus what about you seth mine could just about line up like his i don't remember the first time that i heard it but it's always been there mike and i went to school together he's slightly a a couple years ahead of me just two years ahead of me but uh i think that our timeline would have probably run the same as far as like exposure to music um i'm i don't remember seeing this video on mtv it's not like every breath you take which you saw it every day just oh about. yeah it was pervasive and when we just watched the video i did not recognize that oh really yeah like yeah. that was not like oh i remember sting with harry potter or where's waldo glasses <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you were but but it was always there oh yeah. yeah it was always it was just there and uh I don't I don't have that that whole that spot in my heart for it like I do uh don't stand so close to me it doesn't it, it's not that overwhelming joy in the chorus but uh it's a good song it's you know I don't think any of the songs that we're going to cover are really bad songs they're all uh they're all pretty they're, they're all pretty good at, at least um you know you made a prediction last week that our creep factors are all going to be above, I think you said, eight. Well, I said that I think they were going to average. Average eight. eight. Yeah. I, th- I think we'll probably follow through on that with this maybe being the lowest. Maybe. I'm guessing. Maybe. I'm It'll guessing. Be curious but we're going to go over these lyrics and see how we feel after them. Let's talk a little bit about the band uh, leading up to this point. Um, so this, as I mentioned, is from the album Outlandos de More. Uh, which was in part financed by one of Stuart Copeland's brothers, who was a little reluctant to have Andy Summers in the band. He had just uh, joined the band and kind of strong-armed himself in uh, as the lone guitarist. Uh, No record label, 
no real budget um, recording at a very small studio during off-peak hours um, into a converted recording facility above a dairy, uh, which was uh, run by Chris and Nigel Gray, who we mentioned Nigel Gray oh, yeah. uh, as one of their chief producers. producers yeah. I think um, the guy that did, uh, not Regatta de Blanc, but the other one, Zenyatta Madonna in the in the Netherlands or something like that. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a big uh, a big upswing from the beginning of their career and what their recording uh, style looked like when they did Outlandos de Moor to Zenyatta Mandata exactly. for sure. Very much. What a difference a couple of years can make. Um, so uh, Miles runs by and kind of hears some of the stuff they're working on, and is like, "Whoa, okay, all right," and starts working with them to uh, to get signed to A and M Records. Um, on the strength of another single, which we'll be talking about next week, and I'm trying. I'm going to try my best to kind of uh, hop, skip, and jump around naming it, but I'm sure most people will probably figure out what it is. Uh, they went on the old gray whistle test in 1978, um, and more on that in a second. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, and immediately started kind of picking up a little bit of steam. Uh, also on the strength of the fact that this song was banned by the BBC because of the cover. Have you ever seen the cover, Mike? Uh, uh, the cover of the single? Yes. yes. I am familiar with the cover of the single. Oh. It's, it's It really leans into what the song <laughs> may imply, but clearly does, hence the cover. So, now, last week we you, sh- uh, you told me about it. I looked it up mm-hmm. and was totally shocked by it. It's, yeah. it's a very shocking cover. But uh, then I did some, you know, every week I've been doing uh, a little bit of work finding out about each individual member. Last week was Stuart Copeland. This week's Andy Summers. And after doing the work that I did researching Andy Summers, I have questions about that cover that hopefully we'll be able to figure out as a group here. Let me explain to the cover uh, what the cover looks like to all of you listeners. It is <clears throat> it is a man who is hanging from a noose uh, with a hood over his head, standing on a block of ice. Uh, with a radiator melting the ice. Um, it is a pretty alarm, alarming picture. And when I first saw it, I, I was it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I'm not entirely sure what I see is what I think I'm seeing. Like, maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me. Uh, but it is not. And as Mike mentioned, the lyrics um, get into it a little bit. Um, and the fact that you had seen it, I, I don't think a lot of people think of like singles covers, right? But this single cover, um, you know, did cause a huge stir. And, uh, of course, as we've talked about before, when you ban something like this, um, much like relax by Frankie goes to Hollywood being banned. Cause it was talking about edging basically. <laughs> um, and, uh, about people having, uh, having, you know, edging sex or what have you, Um, you know, it's going to cause people to go, well, what's all this think about? You know, why is this being banned? And now I have to have it. And that's pretty much what we had happen is a lot of people were just kind of running to try and find out what the fuss was about and ended up liking what they hear. Um, They put this album out. It, uh, you know, flew up the charts um, and led to gigs in the U.S., like at CBGB, uh, a couple of other places in New York, Boston, um, and they drove themselves and their equipment around in a Ford Econoline van. Uh, Can't Stand Losing You was re-released in the U.K., becoming a substantial hit, peaking at number two. Um, so did very, very, very well for them. How are you doing over there, Seth? I'm doing great. I'm trying to find out exactly who gave us that cover, where they get it from. So the cover um, was, so the person standing on the block of ice is Stuart Copeland, yeah. which is a little, uh, a little strange. Um, the photography was done by a gentleman named Peter Gravel. That's what I was looking for. Well, there you go. And there's a reason for it. And it says uh, in the Wikipedia article here, despite this, or perhaps because of the extra attention from the controversy, it became the group's first single to break the charts and has held a spot in their live sets ever since it was written. I mean, it's also just a great song. It is a good, very, very good it's song. It's a very, very, I mean, super catchy. Uh, the lyrics, so some of these, you know, as, as we've mentioned before, some of the songs we do, we do because the lyrics are uh, fucked up or what have you. 
Um, some of them we do because you may not know what the song has been about this whole time. I have a feeling a lot of people have kind of like sang along to this song like we were talking about last week where they're hitting the chorus uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, I can't stand losing you. He, he, he this is cute. <laughs> Uh, and then you find out what the lyrics are and you, they become a little bit less cute. Yeah, it is less cute. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. As if you couldn't, you know, I mean, we heard it on the radio. I'm sure if you had to go out and like buy the single, you know, which I'm sure a lot of people did, all of a sudden they had a different take on it when they saw that cover. Whole reason I'm bringing it up is because now we got to talk about Andrew James Summers. Born December uh, the 31st of December, the last day of December, 1942. Mm-hmm. He um, is older than Stuart Copeland by almost 10 years, older than Sting by nine. Jesus. Was a firm part of the uh, English um, rock culture of the 60s that gave us bands like, you know, the Beatles, the Who, the Kinks, the Stones. Was uh, a member of a couple of bands early on, um, especially one called uh, Zoot Money's Big Roll Band. (laughs) Which is one of the stupidest names I've ever heard. I immediately don't want to see that band. And he, you've seen Spinal Tap. You've seen Spinal Tap, right? Yes. Okay, you know how they go through that progression of at first they're like a folk rock band. And then, you know, they go through their Beatles mop top phase. And then they go into acid rock. Pretty much followed everything exactly that same way. Uh, mm-hmm. Zoot Money started a band with him called Dantalian's Chariot. As if Zoot Money's big roll band couldn't be stupid enough. <laughs> yeah, that one's stupider. Um, that was in 1966. Uh, first found, saw shows with, the, uh, according to the Wikipedia here, with Jimi Hendrix. Um, started playing, you know, it, it, when people pay attention and they read this Wikipedia, they'll be shocked to see that he was a member of Eric Burden's Animals. And they go, oh my goodness. However, what they don't, what this, I think, fails to explain, he, well, it does say brief time, but really kind of points out is that it was only the final iteration of the animals, and he was only there for a short time, and then went on to have floundering success, going to Los Angeles for a while, coming back, um, you know, meeting his wife in America, Kate, who he eventually had a daughter with. Uh, I can't remember her name at the moment, but it's I know it's... Daughter. Uh, yeah, daughter. That's fine. Daughter. Daughter uh, one. Daughter Summers. <laughs> um, daughter Water. <laughs> Um, he eventually, like Mark said, wound up meeting Sting. Uh, there was another guy in the band, Mike Howlett, um, became, uh, the permanent guitar player. I don't know what happened to him. And the whole reason that I got most of this information and most of this, uh, I I actually didn't get it through Wikipedia. I'm reading a lot of what I am off of Wikipedia right now, but I listened to a podcast yesterday. It was one of the worst podcasts I've ever heard. Um, (laughs) But um, it was about uh, songs in movies or musicals. And it was two gentlemen that were discussing Can't Stand Losing You. And in this this case, they were discussing the documentary can't stand losing you. I don't know if you know that. The or relatively not, new documentary 2012. about 2012. I've seen oh, it. Yeah. You've seen it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've watched it. So, um these guys did a just a horrible job. Uh I mean it, it just wasn't that great. Um but it, it made me today run home and go and watch the documentary before I got here and I learned Hot damn. It kind of um confirmed my suspicions in that in this you really get an inside look of the dynamics of Sting, Gordon mm-hmm. Shumway, as we're calling him. I know his name's Sumner. That's Shumway. just what we're calling okay. Yeah, like Alf. <laughs> um, Gordon Shumway and uh, and Stuart Copeland as the two, uh, how, shall we say, egos of the group, oh, yeah. for lack of a better term. And not to say that Andy didn't have his own. He was fighting to get you know his ideas in there as well, but definitely more subdued than the other two. There's no doubt about that. I also learned that Sting was more of an asshole than I thought uh, in this one um, from just the way that he kind of treated them. You know, when you get to a point in a relationship where you don't know if someone's joking all the time, that's a bad spot. And you see a lot of that in this. But we learned some other things about Andy. Uh, He was the first few years of his life were spent in essentially what is a it's called a gypsy caravan. Housing in London was very difficult to come by. So his father purchased a glorified covered wagon for him to live in, for, for him and his mother to live in. His father was in the RAF. His mother helped build bombs during the war. Um, he was very well, he was loved by his family, started off playing piano. His uncle bought him a guitar, fell in love with it. Eventually that led to him 
playing with Zoot Money and the rest of the Dantalians and all that other stuff. But uh, went through, of course, we get to the to the police. He went through the the steps that you go through of being in a band. You know about these, you know, when it's fresh and then when you get into real work and then when it starts to fall apart. And we see that throughout the movie. But one of the things that I thought was so fascinating about him is that around the time of Zenyatta, um, he just picked up a, a camera and just started taking pictures of everything. Mm. And throughout this, I don't know if you remember, Mike, but in the documentary, you it's just one of my favorite parts, really. Pictures, and you are a <coughs> photographer. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And um, and it, I, I'll be damned if it's not some of the best damn photography I've seen in yeah, a long time. And he time. was in some really amazing moments, so to have good pictures of those moments but was like great. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're really, I mean, if he wasn't, the guitar player for the, for the police, he could have he could go by get by on this easily easily. It, they're really really great pictures. Um, you find out you know, and it's a great documentary of what it is like. It's one of the best commentaries, visual commentaries of what it is like being in one of the biggest bands in the world at that time. You know that yeah. bumps Michael Jackson off the top. You yeah. know, and and it's it's really fascinating. It's really great. Um, I wouldn't say it's the greatest documentary, but there are things about it, especially when it comes to Andy, that you just didn't know, and and it's uh, it's fun for watching that. It did raise uh, the, the 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 podcast that I listened to raised a, a good question that I want you guys to answer right now. Both of those guys agreed that they are one of the most underrated bands in the era of popular music, and that means after Elvis. How do you think? Do you think that they're one of the most underrated bands? No, my gut is telling me no. Rated how? Like underrated as far as like like, like popular understanding or like the hits they and the money they made. No, 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 not 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 having to do the like in the public consciousness. Should people have paid more attention to them? <clears throat> I think so. You think so? I think so. But I mean, I think they they certainly were appreciated. They just were in a weird niche. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they in, were in the world of popular music. What they do is like, okay, let's do some like you know pop rock punk reggae you know it's there like, you go okay where do you put yeah. that on the shelf at the record bar yeah you know i don't know i i've i've been met with some opposition when i mentioned some bands that i think should be more um credited than they than they are even when they're already big and one of the examples is jethro tull okay i don't think jethro tull as big guy? as they are yeah uh well he's ian, ian anderson, anderson. Yeah. but the band is jethro tull um I don't I feel like even with them being relatively big and well known that they don't get the the gravitas they should. I feel the same way about Supertramp. Really? I know both of these bands are kind of uh on the cusp or or directly in the prog rock realm, but man, the two of those bands I was brought up with around them too. Like my mom was a huge right. Jethro Tull and Supertramp fan, but the police, I mean, the interesting thing about the police that we've, as we've learned them so far, and we've pretty much gotten around to telling the whole story, is the trajectory of the police. They were at their highest point when they broke up. Absolutely. I mean, 1986, when you got into them, 87 is when the wheels were doing they, what, they your were old, where, what your yeah. old car was oh, doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't, well, you know, it's fun, what's funny is, is at that time, I probably couldn't have told you whether they were from three years before or 20 years before. Right, yeah. You know, at the, it was the 80s. What did we do? We didn't have Wikipedia, you know what I mean? No. I wasn't reading the copyright on the back of the album. Yeah. I always thought that they, uh, when this question was proposed on the podcast that I listened to, they, they were both very, very underrated. I think that they landed exactly where they probably should have i think i agree with you yeah. i don't want to i don't want to call them i hesitate to call them a one-trick pony for no. most of their for most of their career but i mean like they got by on a very specific punky new wave sound and you know when they did every breath you take is i you know a lot of people may call it like kind of like a sellout era where they started Definitely kind divergent. of going going easy and kind of Going a little softer, doing uh, uh, "Don't Stand So Close to Me" '86. They definitely started kind of like, oh, okay, we're like doing more of the '80s thing. They were um, slowly turning into Sting. Yeah, well, that's ex and that's yeah. and that's that's exactly right. When you listen to "Every Breath You Take" and you listen to "Fields of Gold." You're like, these aren't so far away from each other. I'll let you know. <laughs> Both of the guys in that podcast thought that was the greatest song ever. 
fields of like, gold? Yes. Or, oh my god. I, I was like, what the hell are they <laughs> listening to? What did you, and and that was part of why I was like, just answer it. We'll go back with what you said about Super Tramp and and uh, and Aqualung. Ian Anderson is Aqualung. Um, I thought the Kinks. Oh, the Kinks, Kinks are. Is like, yeah, I think that like Village Green. Why are we? Why don't people talk about that damn record? You know, it's That's true. How I feel. You know, they are. They're. They're I think like they're a, underrated. Yeah, they're a. They're a, a. A little bit less Beatles. Yeah, I mean, they did a bunch of different stuff, and they did it very well, and they were super talented. We got to do one of their songs sooner or later. <laughs> I'm sure we can. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get into these lyrics. Do you have anything you want to add before I start reading the lyrics, Seth? I just want to say, I think we covered it good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've called you so many times today, and I guess it's all true what your girlfriends say, that you don't ever want to see me again, and your brother's going to kill me, and he's six feet ten. I guess you'd call it cowardice, but I'm not prepared to go on like this. Well, one of the things that I'll say right off... One of the things I think we've 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 used the term incel a couple times. Um, there are a couple of interesting quotes uh, from Sting and from some other people about the lyrics to the song that put a, a, an even worse taste in my mouth than the song really gives. And again, I think that it's fair to say that this song is not autobiographical. I doubt it. I Seth mean, wrote it. Who who's the who's credited with the writing? It's, oh, it's, it's Sting. Sting. It's Sting. It's, okay. it's all Sting, baby. Uh, Sting, the uh, man that referred to him and his bandmates as blonde bombshells, saying that they could have any young woman they wanted, and how he kept his hands to himself, he doesn't know. Yeah. I don't think that makes that's... himself very unlikable in interviews. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, definitely, uh, definitely tooting his own horn. Uh, but I mean, we're coming right out with you know calling you so many times just immediately starting off with i've i'm pushing the boundaries i'm i'm probably calling i'm calling you so when even even the creepy person even the creepy narrator in the song knows that it's calling you so many times we know that we're immediately crossing some kind of line yeah but there's a level of awareness i think some in in this in so far that um that I I think you couldn't get from a genuine songwriter that's going through this. I think he has to be on the outside of it in order to understand and and put it the way he does to a degree. I mean, yeah. we're early. We're early on. Well, one of the I know one of the big things for me is uh I guess it's all true what your girlfriend say that he's kind of getting this information from them. I think kind of tells a story that she is so whatever she is terrified of him. Uh, or sick of him that she can't even deliver the news herself. He has to hear this news secondhand from all of her friends. Um, that sh- number one, she doesn't want to see him again, and number two, that her brother's going to kill him, and he's six feet ten. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if that's if he knows that information or if they had to give him that information. Yeah. We don't really get a feel for how long this relationship has been going on. No. You know what's interesting is is I'm trying to think back to like the, when I first listened to this song and the age that I was, and I saw this song through the lens of a 15 year old, mm-hmm. which was a lot less creepy. Plus, it was the 80s, so if you're going to call a bunch of times, you're going to have to like talk to the mom every time you call. Oh, yeah. you know yeah, what absolutely. I mean, like a little brother or sister. Yeah. yeah, and and I interpreted it at that time as I dig back as the cowardice was he didn't want to confront the six foot ten brother. Which doesn't really make much sense. <laughs> well, no, it actually does. I, I mean, think. You know, yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, later on, the cowardice starts to mean something else. Yes. Oh yeah, but yes. but in that first little stanza there, you know, to me it was oh, like you'd be right in a suit. I was like, yeah. you know, I like her. Her friends say she doesn't like me anymore. I'm going to keep calling her house, and her brother's too big to confront. Mm. Yeah. So, but you know, obviously, if I think about it now, though, as like a thirty-year-old, <laughs> right, right, you know, or, immediately not, the red thirty. But if, if this up. whole story is about like a grown man, right, yeah, right, it's a, it's a different, <laughs> a it's a different, different situation. Yeah, it starts being a it, yeah. I'd say that this this behavior, even in this first verse, starts becoming problematic at like nineteen, eighteen, nineteen years old, where it's like, ugh, you calling so many times. And you've already done something to where, like, she doesn't want to see you again. 
And she's probably, I'm guessing, telling her friends to let you know because she probably doesn't feel safe. Um, it's definitely just red flag season. Do you know what this reminds me of? And I guess it's all true what your girlfriends say. Mm. Her friends are so jealous. You know oh, how bad. I can see that. I mean, it's he's always like trying to get... It, it seems like he's always trying to put his ear over onto what you know girls are talking about when they're talking about boyfriends. You know, or in the case of don't stand, you know, the teacher, you know, but but he's always trying to get to the, you know, what's, what he's, he's trying to give you some insight into some gossip going on between girls. Well, I'd say even more than that, I think it's uh, kind of saying that he thinks that women just talk a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a little bit more of that misogyny of, uh, you know, being of the opinion that, you know, how bad girls. Oh, get. Yeah, you know, mm. Helen's going to the fence, <clears throat> fence post again. Um, and then the pre-course, I guess you'd call it cowardice. Which, I mean, you know, I think by and large, it either is cowardice or isn't. I mean, I know it's an opinionated thing, but I don't think there's really uh, much. Uh, like you said, I mean, as far as the the brother thing is concerned, which may be your first kind of blush reaction, because they mentioned the brother being six foot ten. He's going to beat the shit out of him. You call it cowardice. And then it's but I'm not prepared to go on like this. Right. And we don't really understand what go on like this means like go on being scared that the brother's going to beat you up and we pretty quickly find out that that's not what he's concerned with um so then we get our first chorus which is just i can't i can't i can't stand losing i can't i can't i'm not going to do this over and oh over i was again. wondering if the protocol required <laughs> oh not today mike i can't stand losing you is the thing that we get at the end and and we get some more of that very very good reggae beat and that bass line Legalize it. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just it's just it, i mean that first record is just so reggae a, a oh, ton yeah. of it just a ton of it F- funny thing um you had mark had played us a recording of sting uh pre-police what was the song well i mean so the the band it's the 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 whole band entity is is sting uh-huh. mike howlett okay andy summers and Stuart Copeland. Oh, okay. So it's Police with Howlett. It is, yes. Okay. It is basically Police. Well, it was another band that was started with Mike Howlett, who invited Police or who invited Police, who invited Sting, who called the cops, who then invited Stuart Copeland because they needed a drummer, right? And Andy Summers was the guitarist, and that's how they kind of ended up, uh, you know, ending. What ending was up the in song? That band. The song was every little thing she does is magic. Okay, so in the in the version that Mark played for us, he's playing this nylon string uh, guitar, and it's got a it's it's got like a I don't know would you say almost like a Latin flair to it? A little bit. It's a band yeah. called Strontium Ninety is the name of the band, and they did a version of Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic in the like mid nineteen seventies, and we were all kind of puzzled, <laughs> looking at each other like, what is it? I mean, again, it it is very now sting <laughs> i was just like, about um, to say like nylon string guitar is right in sting's wheelhouse that Absolutely. is post the in, police in the yeah. documentary um andy talks about where him and his wife uh were taking him during the recording of zenyata mandata and kind of keeping him while his wife had gone back to ireland for his pre-trude is his kate um you know he was hanging out and they were feeding him and taking care of him during this time and then he sat there and listened while sting was strumming on a nylon string guitar and plunking out these notes and he starts hearing him sing Roxanne and mm-hmm. Roxanne apparently started as like this bossa nova type thing mm-hmm. so it doesn't come as a as a shock yeah uh, according see- to Andy in the documentary they I seem to have that. a thing where when Sting writes stuff they always start in one style of music that they don't stay because yeah. I know we've talked about that with um you know with every breath you take that's right they had originally done on like a Hammond organ um and ended up getting changed so isn't there like a a little instrumental just uh nylon string guitar in like soul cages i think i think one of his i think there's this i can you know i think that yeah anyway sounds right um so it was it was definitely always there (laughs) yeah you know it was kind of from from the get-go um then we get into the second verse as we start getting more and more incelly I see you've sent my letters back and my LP records and they're all scratched. I can't see the point in another day. 
when nobody listens to a word I say. You can call it lack of confidence, but to carry on living doesn't make no sense. All right. Calm down. Yeah, no Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, you know, again, I think to some extent, um, I mean, we're going to have to talk about, the, about this sooner rather than later. I mean, depending on the age here, because I know like the, the, you know, we're all the three of us. We're all men here. We all remember what it was like to first have our hearts broken. And, you know, depending on your upbringing and what your father was like or what your parents were like, um, whether or not you were allowed to show emotion. And if you're trying to be tough, we like to hit rocks it was, with sticks. It was very, very hard to have your heart broken and still feel manly. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I mean, if we're talking about someone who is 18, 19, 20 years old here, uh, just being like, it's all over. I'm done. I don't see the point in waking up because a girl doesn't want to be with me anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I, I can understand, uh, it's hard for me to look back, I guess, and, and think about someone writing a song about an 18 year old or 19 year old. He's going around 25 this. at this point, just okay. to let you know. That's how old yeah. Sting is? Yeah, he's like 25 or 26. He's perpetually so, 25. I guess so, yeah, no kidding. I, I think Bernie Mac, if he heard this line, would tell him to go put, do some push-ups and shit. You know, <laughs> just go walk, walk, walk that shit off. I mean, yeah. And again, I mean, you know, so he already had the call, you know, I called you so many times. Now as I see you sent my letters back, now he's sending multiple letters. And we're definitely starting to get to the point of like being like, all right, like you need to just consider moving on. I do have to ask that, and my LP records and they're all scratched gives a level of you know uh, animosity that the other that the recipient of all this in, uh, attention is showing. Maybe that's more than just oh, I wish this guy would leave me alone. Maybe he did something wrong. Yeah, maybe he did something. I mean, if a girl just wants him to leave alone, maybe just send the records back and say, "Please leave me alone." But these came back scratched. You got any? Uh, you working well, on? Well, what any I was going to say is, is that it also implies that they either live together or, you know, what I mean. Like, mm. it, you know, why would they? Why would she have his LP records? To That's send interesting. Back? Yeah, yeah. So That's it implies a, a a maybe a deeper relationship than just. They went out on a couple dates. At one now point, there was some reciprocating it. going on. Yeah. yeah. What do we think the chances are that he sent her LP records as a way as a make good to try and uh, win her back? Maybe sent her some LP records with the letters. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe a Bee Gees record or 1977. That's going to be an expensive relationship, man. <laughs> You're not lying. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. That's not just making a mixtape in the 90s, man. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I do agree that this I, I agree with both of you. I think this shows that maybe things were pretty far along. And I, I definitely think that this shows that um, that she's taken something out on him, whether it be because he won't stop fucking calling or won't stop sending her letters. And he's she's he's making this as hard as possible. She's definitely like. She didn't have to wreck his shit. She didn't have to break his, you know. He didn't no, have you'd to... think if she'd want him gone and, like, not calling anymore, she just would have given him back unscratched. Right. Yeah. 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 Here you go. Just shove Mark, off. I'm Not Mark. I'm going to say Mike <clears throat> on this one. Do you think that when nobody listens to a word I say is the most childish thing he ever wrote? Uh, well, I was going to bring up that line. Please. And I hadn't really thought Expound. necessarily <laughs> about it being childish. But, it, yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's, it's like... Yeah, it's like throwing a fit. Yeah, it no, it yeah like a it's tantrum. like it's a tantrum. This is cross-armed, uh, you know, looking down at the ground, and you know, it's just like, come on, man, look, I yeah, and you know, again, I I wish we had some context as how old the uh, narrator is supposed to be here, um, but it's still just kind of like it just doesn't sit very well with me. It is very boohoo, like you know, you're going through a breakup, and poor, we get poor, it. Pitiful me. Yeah, and it yeah. you know it sucks. It sucks to go through a breakup, um, but again, we don't really know what the breakup is all about. And some of the some of the story that we're getting back about the scratched records and stuff kind of lends itself to think that maybe we shouldn't be feeling so bad for our humble narrator. No, do you think, no, I don't. Do you think maybe Sting the gold they call him the Golden God or something like that? What did you say? 
the uh, field of gold. No, no, I, I thought you said the they gold hit a nickname man. or something. But oh, um, but it, you know, Sting got the girls. Maybe this was just trying to reach out to the losers of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that very well might be the case. Yeah, they did call them at one point the Bleached Boys. Oh, oh, it yeah. was the uh, blonde bombshell. The blonde bombshell that they, yeah. that they referred to themselves. Gotcha, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you can call it lack of confidence, but to carry on living doesn't make no sense. It's kind of the understatement of the to go from like I don't have any confidence to like I don't understand why I would go on living. It really is coming from you know call it lack of confidence is like a somewhat insightful maybe you know uh, oh I'm getting a grip on things to all of a sudden but to carry on living makes no sense almost sounds like well you're gonna come to my funeral when I'm gone and everybody's gonna cry because I died. Well, this you know, is that's, yeah. That's that's what it sounds. It's so childish. It's it might be more childish than nobody listens to a word I say. Well, then this is why I brought up the incel kind of uh, side of, uh, you know, I'm gonna make you feel so bad that you have to stay with me, mm. and it's not a good it's not a good situation ever for anybody. That's, that's the understatement from Mark. <laughs> it's not a good look. No, it's <laughs> fucking scary. It's awful. Yeah, it shows real problems. If somebody ever comes to you, any younger people, if anybody ever comes to you and says, "If you leave, I'm gonna kill myself," fucking run. Yes, run. It's called emotional manipulation. It's, it's called unstable. You get can the find hell somebody out of better. There. Yeah. It is terrifying. Um, so you get another chorus of I can, I can, I can't stand losing. Uh, then <laughs> we get it. I mean, he just he he's got a thing about choruses where he just says the same shit over and over again. Really pounds it into your head. He does like to repeat stuff. Oh yeah, big time. Do 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 do. Which I wrote a paper about in high school. Did you Did really? You? Yeah. Oh, I think tell you me for more. Jane, for Jane, Rem, for Jane Renfro. Miss Renfro. Yeah. Oh my God, that's crazy. What uh, what was it? Tell me more about. Well, this. No, it was just I think it was just trying to like you know like like baby talk can express you know you can't there, you have things you want to express that you can't put into words. I okay. guess was the approach that I took. Oh bloody. Oh okay. Oh bloody. <laughs> So now we get our little um, weird reggae soundscape uh, thing. Um, that sounds kind of cool. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you got an I, echoplex I like, yeah. uh, used on Andy Summers' Almost guitar. Black Ark. We get the... Almost Lee Scratch. Oh! Whatever, <laughs> whatever, that, whatever that yelp is. And it's funny, we were all watching the music video and like all of us were waiting for it to happen. And he, Mike is like... Ugh. And I'm like, oh, like we're all trying to I do got our, it. I was way too early. Well, we were all we were all it's trying to do our best impressions of it, waiting for it to come up. Um, and so it's kind of going along. It's got like this little ethereal feel to it. Um, and then a we dubby, get in, a little dubby, little dubby, little absolutely, dubby. very very dub influenced. And then we get our third verse. I guess this is our last goodbye, and you don't care, so I won't cry. But you'll be sorry when I'm dead and all this guilt will be on your head. I guess you'd call it suicide, but I'm too full to swallow my pride. I can't, I can't, I can't stand losing, etc., etc. It goes on, it looks like maybe 10 or 12 times here, just kind of eyeing it until he says, can't stand losing you. If when nobody listens to a word I say is the most childish thing in one single line, this is the most childish stanza or verse in its entirety. It's, I guess this is our last goodbye, and you don't care, so I won't cry. When crying is what he's been doing the whole goddamn song. <laughs> well, I mean, also, do, I mean, does is anybody here, is your, is the whether or not you're going to cry dictated on whether or not someone else cares? I don't think that's really how crying works. Like, if anything, someone not caring about me may make me cry more. I don't I don't think of anybody who is just like, oh, I'm really sad that that happened. But do you care about me? Hmm. No. So now all of a sudden tears are not welling up in my eyes. I just don't think that's really like how crying happens. Mark, you're not three. Well, I yeah, mean, that's, that's fair. You know, that's uh, th- th- this seems to be the age range from which the songwriter has taken things from. I mean, it's it's extremely childish. This song. We should go with a childish factor at the end. What do you think the chances are that Sting just wanted to say "can't stand you- losing you" a lot, and the whole rest of it is just purely driven by the rhyming p- potential and damn the meaning? 
You know what I mean? Because well, some of those rhymes are just so, you know... The possibility uh, is there. You know what yeah, I mean? That, that I mean, I don't want to, like, take away the mojo of a songwriter, but... No, no. No, no, no. It's, Look, it's already gone. I, I, I mean, <laughs> Fields of Gold told us that. So. As, as someone who is into actual uh, producing work and, uh, and news, it has to be painful watching people just read off of Wikipedia. No, no, um, no, no, it's, no. It's funny that you say that. This is We should ask the GPTs what they think. <laughs> yes. Uh Can't Stand Losing You features lyrics which according to Sting is quote and this is what I was saying is befuddling about a teenage suicide which is always a bit of a joke. Hooray. That's a quote from Sting. That's a quote from Sting. Dude, we've gotten some quote. I think Mark mentioned it before we went live here. Last week's quote of what don't stand so close to me is all about, you know, in in hindsight from him and the word rape was brought up. Um, so you can always uh, you can count on Gordon for a ray of sunshine after a album has run. It's Gordon course Shumway. Chart. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yes, very Gordon Shumway. Absolutely. Um, Sting also claimed that the lyrics took him only five minutes to write. So you might very well be on to something. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he made he's like halfway like, through and he's like, I think I'm writing a song about suicide. Go. I'm going to make this bloody kid kill himself. Can't stand losing. Losers are going to love this song. <laughs> the chorus has been on the table for two years, but it took him five minutes to write the verses. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't think that there is really a whole lot uh, invested in the lyrics. But to, to sit there and say that teenage suicide is always a bit of a joke um, really kind of rocked me back on my heels. Um, when you look at the genius uh, page for it, um, it just succinctly says, Can't Stand Losing You is about a boy planning to commit suicide because the girl he loves no longer loves him. Uh, which has been upvoted 33 times, which is kind of disconcerting in and of itself that people are just upvoting that. Just leave it annotation alone. on this on this particular <clears throat> verse. Uh, it's long. Don't want to go into it. However, this guy's just a tad bit more insightful than Sting is when he brings up uh, different bullet points throughout the verse, like for each line. Uh, alternately, he brings up suicide is shameful to him, yet he is too full of sadness to swallow his pride and suck it up and continue living. Calling it suicide is simplifying the issue in his opinion. Which I do think is a little bit insightful, that we, a, a bit of insight that we don't normally see from genius annotators. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I did kind of think that the line, uh, I guess you'd call it suicide, there's really no guessing to it. I mean, if you kill yourself, that's, that's pretty much it. But one of the lines he says, one could call it suicide, but the protagonist believes what he is contemplating is above that, meaning he is too full of pride to swallow it and stooped to calling himself suicidal. He thinks himself justified, and therefore suicide is too derogatory a term for what he plans to do. I, I think that's a little too thinky. Thank you. Well, <laughs> welcome to the world welcome of Welcome to Genius. genius. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so great when we use Genius. This is episode 121. What is Genius? Yeah, yes. Is that Lyric Genius? Yeah. It's, I've, we, seen, I've never actually like used it. Other that's than what yeah. we use week after lyrics. week just for the annotations and if we can get some sort so of insight. So users can create accounts and then annotate uh, lyrics and people vote. Yeah, yes, okay. yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. And more often than not, they're not helpful, but... Sometimes they're funny. They don't mean to be. And then every once in a while, you get some insight. It does happen. Yeah. And one of the originally it was used um, for rap. Uh, I believe the original name of it was RapGenius.com, yeah, if I was. remember correctly. And it was mostly used for songs because rap uses so many, um, you know, allusions to things. Mm -hmm. So you know, you would. Oh right. There's like know, a lot of a lot of cross crossing meaning buried in exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it would take a line like, um, you got it all wrong like women in tuxedos and you're coming up shorter than five Danny DeVitos. And it would say, women in tuxedos consider wrong because tuxedos are generally worn by men and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and five Danny DeVitos, you're coming up shorter than five Danny because Danny DeVito is an actor who's very short, in case you don't know. Um, so it would kind of give you insight as to what these things mean if you didn't understand them. Or it's like an unfunny MST3K. Oh, I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like pop-up um, video on yeah, a screen. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But less interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so looking through song facts... Um, the first thing this song is about a teenager who commits suicide when he loses his girlfriend. 
It took Sting only a few minutes to write the lyrics. They are not supposed to be deep and meaningful, but more of a joke, which again is just like the ha ha joke about the guy that kills himself. Well, and like we started with, they lean in by putting that freaking photo on the single. So it's like, you know, they really leaned in there. They did. I mean, did suicide not hit with the same gravity that it does well, today you in know, 1978? I, it, I think it hit individuals who were in danger of thinking about it the or, same, their, or their relatives but the culture hadn't started becoming aware of that and pushing back and saying this the, the disclaimer at the end of discussions about suicide you know yeah. what i mean it's yes. like i bet there were people who were listening to that song who were on the edge who were like it was not a good song for mm. oh you know absolutely. you know yeah. yeah now we just didn't you know i played little league baseball and we'd go afterwards and get the drink ticket and we'd go up there and get our suicides oh yeah you remember it was yes. like it was like mix oh, yeah. all the sodas, ma'am. I want a suicide. And we're Where running did you around play at? like um, yeah, uh, Lynn Hart, t- Ted Schultz, man. I, Ted, you know, Ted Ferrera. Yeah, Ted Ferrera was yeah. my coach. I had I, I I played for Sam Ross his last year. Oh wow! Yeah, wow, that's great. But yeah, suicide in the eighties was like a kid's drink at the baseball game. Right. So you know, nobody thought anything of it. You're right. I ordered one too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, same thing. It's just everything. You know what it is. Well, you know, I mean, I'll also say that. <clears throat> When you talk about like kind of like we were sort of joking about earlier with, you know, young boys and young girls being so verklempt with uh, with with grief that they, you know, the world may as well end. Everything sucks because they can't go out. Uh, you know, you raised a daughter. You, you may have gone through the occasional you're the worst. You're worse than Hitler. You're just because I can't go out with my friends to go roller. No, no, no Mike. I, we, yeah, our I daughters think we're cool. <laughs> no, I've, yeah. I've made it to 18 without a single moment like that. Okay, yeah. well, fair enough. Well, my, my kid thinks I'm awesome. I, I have did a daughter it. Too, yeah. <laughs> I you did, did it. Congratulations. Her mom was the heavy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we know the story of. So, I, I mean, I guess maybe what it's supposed to be here is a, uh, a sitcom-esque um ha 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 is this about a first love i don't know if it's a first love but it's probably probably up early yeah Yeah, i I mean mean, he's only 25 he's talking about teenage suicide and he's he's guffawing all the way to the bank yeah he's just like yucking it up and everyone we're just eating it up by the spoonful as much as anything this is what we were just talking about this is just evidence of how not seriously suicide was taken in the popular culture in that time in the world 35 40 years yeah. ago yeah and I think that's what it is i think you're i think you're spot on with something and especially when it comes to men and i will say that like you know i'm very very glad that mental health has become more and more of a thing that we care about to where a lot of jobs are giving people extra you know sick days um for mental health days for days where they wake up and they're just like where are these jobs where can i get one one of them is where i work oh, okay <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I don't well, get that. And I mean, un- unfortunately, and kind of ironically, the jobs that probably need them most are the blue collar jobs where people are working themselves into rhino runner. <laughs> Do you want me to beep that out? <laughs> you, no, you can leave. That. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, those jobs where people go in there and have to be tough every day. And we'll just say it the spray and bedliner industry, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, those are the ones where you probably need some time to just decompress and. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think you're 100% right. I think it's ha-ha. It's so funny, these teenage boys killing themselves. Can you believe this? What a joke. Yeah, I doubt Gordon would say it today. I do. Oh, ser- yeah, I, I mean, seriously he's a doubt. smart guy, man. I seriously doubt it. And, you know, like, when we, like, if you listen to NPR, anytime a story or a talk, a conversation mentions suicide, they always stop and say, if you or somebody that you know are having serious thoughts hit 988 mm-hmm. like they put a disclaimer on any right. mention of it yeah now and we are npr listeners yes and, and, and yearly well, contributors to the fundraisers we've had a we have we've had a couple of episodes where we've put a trigger warning on the beginning of them when we're talking yeah. about oh, what was the one certain... that we did uh, carol king about the the um my boyfriend hits me oh and what then he that? hit me yeah and then he hit me yeah god there's one that we did that was just I mean, you couldn't put that song out today at all. And he, then he hit me, and it felt like a kiss. Yeah. Oh. Um, which you know, the whole song ended up being about what Domestic you think violence, it would be about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there is definitely a lot more attention paid to letting giving people a heads up and letting people know when something that 
you know, may not bug the three of us, but may bug someone else's heading their way so they can kind of prepare themselves or skip it or what have you. So definitely glad that we I, I would I would be curious to know if Sting gives a flying shit. I think he probably does at this day, you know, at this uh, point. If for nothing else for a uh, because his lawyers are telling him. <laughs> hey, psst, Lisa, PR really guy. Yeah. It's not on the aflay at the suicide say. <laughs> um, if you uh, there's something that we talked about at the very beginning that I said I was going to address and I didn't and I just have to do it now. You had said that Sting and the rest of the guys went on the old gray whistle test and that was for this record. They went they uh, it was I think for their first visit to the United States as the police. Of course Andy had lived there for a few years before it was where he met his wife, but they went on the old gray whistle, whistle test, and what's famous sort of about that is that in the video, in, in the song that they're doing, it, he Sting looks very Hollywood in that he has these giant glasses ah, yes, on. Yes, I know about that. And, they're, and they're, they're huge, and a lot of people are like, wow, look at, look at Hollywood up there in the front with the frizzed-out bleach blonde hair. But what had actually happened, and this is in the documentary, <laughs> is that, yeah, <laughs> a can of hairspray had exploded, and, and a lot of the material got into his eyes and they had to take him to an optometrist who were able to it took a long time to clean everything out but they gave him a pair of hey you can walk out of here with these and he just wound up wearing them and a lot of people were like oh well look at elton john here yeah because you know, yeah. he had these huge glasses on just the old gray eye test <laughs> the old gray vision <laughs> test there you go um all right creep factor time ah. am i going Let's let our guest go first. I'm going to say, based on the conversation that we had and the ones that you said from the previous two weeks, I'm going to put this one at like 7.3. Okay. I think that's a damn good that's, number. That's a damn, good number. that's good. That's a good number. Yeah. Damn, that's good. <laughs> He's good at this. He's feeling good. He's Holy feeling good, Bob. Um, I'm going to say, uh, in that it's not, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think this is the creepiest one. We're no. I, don't think, I think this is the least of the creepy ones. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you throw in that whole I'm going to kill myself, you know, aspect to it, that it, it's not creepy in the traditional sense of, you know, a leering old man. It's creepy in that this guy's fucking creeping me out, you know, which is still creepy. I'm going to come in just under yours. I'm going to put it right at a solid 7.0. I, we didn't really touch on the last verse yeah, too much. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, he says this is our last goodbye. You know she's not talking to him. So he's kind of talking to himself. He's saying this is our last goodbye, which is his way of saying, I'm standing on this melting piece of ice, and I'm going to be dead by the time you get this. <laughs> but you don't care, so I won't cry. And you'll be sorry when I'm dead. Oh, yeah. And all this guilt will be on your head. How manipulative and terrible. Like, the whole point of killing yourself is to make someone feel ultimately, like, the only way for you to understand how bad I feel is for me to make you feel bad. Um, you know, I know people who have lost loved ones to suicide and have felt that they were personally responsible for yeah, it. Oh, yeah. And it is something that still eats at them after 15, 20 years I don't know that it's something that you ever get rid of. Even going to therapy and people saying it's not your fault, like in uh, Goodwill Hunting over and over again. Um, God, what a manipulative, terrible fucking thing to do to another person. And I'm just kind of having this realization right now. I'm going to go 7-9. Wow. It's, you've it's, you've come in with some there. of your highest, I mean, across the board, like where I'm normally higher, yours have been high across the board. Well, all I, it's throughout just these. that manipulation, man. Yeah. I don't know how pertinent this is, but as you were talking and explaining things, I was thinking, okay, if we're taking this as if this was a real situation and this was a real teenage boy and this was a real girlfriend, is he muttering this to himself or did he put it down on paper and send it to her? Because that totally determines how creepy Ooh. it is. Oh, damn. Ooh. No shit. You know That's what I mean? That's a good question. Yeah. Like if he's sitting in his room and he's just saying this. If it's just in his diary or something and it doesn't go beyond that. Right. Yeah. But yeah. if but if 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 she knows these lines, yeah, that gives, then it's way creepy. You got I, two separate scores. Yeah. I can't yeah. help but think that it's going to her. Just because he's been or you know, he's been try you know, we know he's been calling, 
talking to her friends, sending letters that have been getting sent back. Yeah. Message in a bat bottle style. Um, I, I can't help but think that he is leaving a note for her. People are talking. And saying, yeah, there's you know, a, there's you'll a, be um, sorry when I'm okay, dead. I accept that. I was just thinking, you know, I as think, a teenage boy, you might just, you know, say this shit to yourself. And I'll say, and, though, you know, I, I, and it's if it doesn't leave your room, then it's just your baggage. But see, <sighs> I almost think that in a way it almost makes it creepier that he's mumbling it to himself like he's lost his mind. Well, yeah, but we a different kind of creepy. I mumble to myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're, you're ever talking creep. <laughs> What's um, my creep factor? Uh, <laughs> 0.0. Mike Canary gets no creep factor. Um, that, I think, wraps it up here. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for making the time and coming on and uh, bringing your love of the police. Mike? You're like Mark. You're up to your neck. There's always something happening. Whether I, I hear your voice on the radio every morning, it makes me. You're you're in our lives, man. I hear. You know, it, it, I always see you riding by when I'm taking tours out downtown. It always Set seems forward. like yeah, there's something going on. <laughs> uh, just like Mark, there's always something going on. And we we didn't mention just today. I think it was today. Um, the three song stories came out, and it was uh, Hillary, Karen, Karen yeah, Parsons. Hillary. Who was the the bourgeois voice while Will sat on the yeah, it was on his the, throne the of Ditsy Bel Air, sister the Prince of Pers- Have you listened to it yet? No, I haven't. I, I haven't either, which yeah. is what's funny. Um, <laughs> uh, I do the radio edit, so I'll have to sit down either tomorrow or oh, Thursday. Who did the interview? Oh, I did the interview. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I don't actually hear like it's been out in the wild for two three days now or whatever okay. and but i don't actually get to hear it mm-hmm. you know it's one thing to be in it as you know and oh, another yeah. thing to hear it and as i remember it we had a fucking ball okay. i mean i'm sure i'll be listening to it either tonight or tomorrow morning, i'm just gonna yeah. throw this out there the yellow banana i'll leave it at oh, that. oh oh boy Dude, please hold on hold on the last time you did this to me i almost freaking broke down in tears oh so i hope that this Oh, no, is not no one tears. of those. No yeah, because the last time you said to me, I'm just going to mention to you something to you. And it was your sister's oh, episode. Oh, my sister's episode. Oh, God. Yeah. And then I was like, okay. Yeah, that'll, just, that'll give you a good. I was sitting there at home. That'll like, give you a good dinner, cry. And then all of a sudden I'm like. <gasps> oh, so let oh, me uh, let me ask you this. What uh, pop superstar from the last 30 years would be most likely to be nicknamed the Little Banana? I'm going to guess um, Gwen Stefani from the B-A-N-A-N-A-S. So oh, that's maybe, good. Maybe, I don't know. 30 years. Little Banana? The Little Banana. Um, this person was dressed all in yellow and was eating a red lollipop when she met him. Oh, I said him. Oh. Oh. Oh, well, that's a huge... Uh, Harry oh. Styles. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Should I tell you? Yeah. Sure. Should I make it a tease? Go ahead. Prince. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's funny because he's known for being purple. purple. Yeah, he was a, yeah, his so royal I, badness was I, I, I'm just going to leave purple. it at that. It was a fantastic episode, Karen Parsons. Yeah, I'm going to. No, I'll be listening to it yeah. for sure. I listened to just about every. The John McKenney episode, I had a personal connection to that. That was wild. So, what we're trying to say, folks, is listen to three song stories. Yeah. Seth and I have both been on. Lee from No Nonsense Trivia Podcast has been on. Um, a my number dad, of people. my wife, my daughter, my wife, my yeah. wife, yeah, uh, a number of wonderful people. And I'll tell you, even if you don't know who the people are, you are such an A plus interviewer. You do such a great job getting in uh, into the psyches and asking such interesting uh, questions. It is such a fantastic podcast. It's to so funny to. because when it came out, I was listening to it. Almost from the beginning, I, I was. I think the first one I listened to was Cole, which was like episode ten. Not, not even like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I was like, 10. oh, my buddy's on this show, and oh, my other buddy's on this show, and I was like, wow. <laughs> and then I listened to it, and I was like, and I, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I started listening at week after week, and you could, and I think I said this to you by the time you got to seventy five, which was me. I was like, you can really hear you progress as an interviewer. Oh yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, I was like, you're, and now you're, 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 it's masterful. I now came, you know, good. I started that, you know, not long after I had taken six years off from radio. So I was really rusty at the beginning, but, you know, after, you know, honing my skills for the past however many years now, five year, we just five year anniversary. I feel like I'm on top Jeez. of it now. Mm. Fantastic. Five full years produced by executive producer Chris Duffus. I love that show. Every single Friday for five years, we've released an episode, including through the pandemic. We have never missed a Friday. My That's dad was insane. the last one recorded before the pandemic started. That makes sense. Yeah, he was the last one. March 2020. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Aside from Three Song Stories, which is an exceptionally wonderful podcast, is there anything else you want to plug? The Fort Myers Film Festival, May oh. 18th yeah. through 21st. I'm the technical director, which means I'm the guy in the booth. I collect the films. I turn the lights up. I turn them down. I hit play. Mm-hmm. I play the music. Uh, it's a good time. City and Burn Davis Art Center, downtown Fort Myers, 13th year. Fantastic. I am the festival. Yeah, no, no. Right. Uh, Eric Raditz and Melissa DeHaven are the festival. <laughs> I'm, just I'm the one that let them have a festival. <laughs> oh, there you, go. there you go. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I am the man behind the curtain. Seth, anything you want to say before we start buttoning this bad boy up? It's one more week. One more week. And I'm uh, I'm excited for that last week, man. I'm, I very much am. So am I. We've been in the mix. We've been in, we've been in the, the thick throngs of police parole. Uh, and we're we're one week out from being set free um, from the jail cell that the creepy police from the Shumway cell <laughs> from the Shumway cell. And next week uh, we will be sending off uh, this police parole with Roxanne, also from Atlantos de Moore, um, one of their better known songs. I would say it's kind of the first song that comes to my mind when I think of the police, but. I, I'm guessing that every breath you take is being their biggest money maker might be most people. It's the battle for one and two between those two. Yeah. yeah. You know, Roxanne was brought to a lot of people through Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yes. That's true. Yes, that's that true. That would have exposed that song to a lot of people who probably would never have come across the police. That's a good point. I forgot all about that. Not song that they even play him. the song. It's, so just was... him, it's just him singing it in his, with his headphones. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I remember you got to remember well. something else was brought to us. Of course, I remember trying to play it on every Casio I could find oh, when I was didn't in 19, a kid. In the mid-80s. Uh, so make sure you go and listen to Roxanne by The Police if you've never heard it before. Uh, do you know what it's about? We will, uh, we will uncover that uh, and go over the initial getting together of the hit rock band The Police in next Monday's Lyrics to Go. Thanks a lot for listening. Our theme song was done by Exploding Pages. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for songs or lyrics, you can send them to lyrics to go pod at gmail.com. We'll be back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>